Welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the inner workings of the creative process. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. My guest this week is opera singer Dale Travis, who has performed with companies all over the world in a career he never imagined as a child. Dale always loved to sing, but went to school for football. When an injury thwarted that plan, he auditioned for the choir, setting him on an unexpected path. We talk about his surprising leap to opera, how he lets the text and music teach him how to perform a character, the future of opera, and more. And I promise you don't have to be an opera fan to follow along. Here's my conversation with Dale Travis. Dale Travis, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. So I am I'm curious to hear the story of how you how did you discover that that singing might be a thing that you wanted to do? Is it something you did as a kid or Yeah. I mean, I I always loved to sing and it, and as far as I can remember, I mean, even back in early grade school, I I remember singing a solo in uh the Bear Tavern school. Uh, when I was in either first or second grade, I did the cuckoo song, Holy, <laughs> Holy Rock, and led the whole uh, school in that in the auditorium. And then I think in third grade, I sang God Bless America. Uh, that was at the grammar school in Pennington. And I don't know, I just always liked to sing and always felt comfortable doing it. And um, I was always in choirs and and uh, did musicals in high schools and, and things like that. Um, Met really uh, my first inspirational guy, Bob Sign, who was the director of uh, choirs at, at Valley High School. And, uh, you know, really, I don't know, something clicked with him. And he he just, uh, he inspired all of us. And uh, from there, I, I, I enjoyed playing football. So I went to Susquehanna University uh, to play football. Um, I got hurt the first scrimmage. My knee got pretty screwed up. So I knew my afternoons were free then. <laughs> I, I went down and I auditioned for the university choir thinking, oh, you know, I'll just join that and be a part of that. And at the time I was thinking about being a geology major or something. And um, the choir director, just after I sang, he's like, you should really consider being a music major. So I decided, okay, you know, you know, maybe I'll give this a shot. And I, I really had no um, classical music background. It was just, you know, like I said, singing in choirs and musicals and uh, had a rock band for a few years. <laughs> but, uh, you know, something took off at Susquehanna, and thank God I got in with a great teacher. Um, and he uh, really steered me in the right direction and said he he thought four years working with him he said I, I think you could make a career out of this so he said I want you to go work with Andy White who was uh at the Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music and uh I auditioned there and got in and got a little scholarship which was great um and I spent four more years there uh as as getting uh, my master's degree and an artist diploma. I also got to work with a great opera director, Italo Tayo, who uh, really inspired me as far as really trying to, to make this opera thing work. And uh, from there, uh, I auditioned for the San Francisco Opera, and they have uh, many different levels of young artist programs. And first, you start out in their Merrill Opera program, which is a summer festival, and that's 10 weeks. So, my wife and I, we were married uh, in Cincinnati when, when I was still studying in Cincinnati. So we said, heck, we'll just up and move to San Francisco and uh, see if this is going to work. So uh, after a Maryland opera program in the summer, I did two uh, national tours with the company, which then was called Western Opera Theater. It no longer exists. But uh, so I did La Boheme and uh, then Don Pasquale, uh, two six-month tours all over the United States. And uh, After that, they asked me to be an Adler Fellowship, which is named after Kurt Herbert Adler, which was one of the great maestros of San Francisco for 40 
maybe 50 plus years and I got to work with him a little bit. And from there, uh, just became part of the, the, the roster out there and part of the family. And I just celebrated 30 years since my debut out there, uh, in, uh, 88. Wow. 1988. So, yeah. Um, so, I've been very blessed and, and uh, things have worked out well and I've been doing it now professionally for 35 years. So it's been, it's been really great. And I, I, I give a lot of thanks uh, for, for all that I've been able to do. Sure. So when, when you first heard the idea of being a music major, had anything like that even ever crossed your mind? No, I had no idea that you could be, you know, a professional musician and make a living at it. I, I really had no idea. And like I said, I really didn't know anything as far as music theory, music history. So all the kids in my class were leaps and bounds ahead of me. Respect. And I struggled the first two years. Uh, but, you know, I kept my grades above water <laughs> and uh, just kept working hard singing and um luckily it worked out so um but no i had i had no idea you could make a living doing what i'm now doing <laughs> did your parents freak out at the idea or were they just like yeah do what you want to do no my mom was thrilled because she always attended all my stuff but my dad he had major reservations and he he really wasn't really convinced for a long long time um maybe until i graduated from susquehanna and and then he had a sidebar chat with my teacher. And he said, do you really, really think this guy can <laughs> this career off? And he, and he said, yes, I really do believe it. And I, you know, my, I think my dad finally got on board. But um, it's funny because, you know, I remember as a little kid, he would always play like Mario Lanza and stuff in his truck or whatever, as well as, you know, what he liked, mostly country music. But mm -hmm. he always had sort of this thing with, with opera. and I. Um, but yeah, he, he took a while to come, come, come around, <laughs> but he finally did. Yeah, so. Do you have any idea what convinced him? <sighs> I'm not really sure. I just think, you know, the more I, I kept going with it because I, you know, I left, I left the house when I was 17 and went to college and, uh, I just, it just kept building, you know, and building and I, basically tell people that I kind of went to school twice because I did another 12 years of sort of graduate work and apprenticeships and everything. And, you know, I, um, I just think after that amount of time still climbing the ladder, he was like, well, maybe, you know, yeah, maybe this is going to work. And once I started getting paid, you know, a decent salary for, uh, mm -hmm. for uh, he, you know, I think he, he, Got on board then, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think when you manage to make money at it, usually that'll that'll do it if nothing else has. But yeah, yeah. But uh no, I they were they were both very um uh supportive. Uh, my mom especially, she was totally thrilled uh right at, right from the start, right from the get-go. But um that dad finally came around. <laughs> <laughs> So it must have been, I mean, you said that, that you were kind of behind for the first two years. It must have been an interesting challenge to shift mental gears like that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know, I, I always tried to challenge myself, and I knew that this was probably the biggest challenge in, in a musical career to actually try and sing opera. Um, so I don't know, I, I, somehow I just had a good work ethic instilled in me by my parents and they said no matter what you do just be the best you can be at it and you're, you'll have success so I don't know I just I just kept plugging away at it and working hard and working hard and you know practicing four or five six hours a day and just you know yeah. keeping it to the grindstone and, and yet you know there's so much to learn I mean it's the musical vocabulary it's all the languages uh and then you've got to got to solidify a, a good technique which you know, can take quite a while, especially for a bass. We, we're the last ones really to mature uh, in the voice category. So uh, that took, I really didn't feel comfortable singing until I was about 40. And then things started to really in. <laughs> but yeah, so it, 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 it's something that, you know, you just have to persevere. 
and uh, keep keep working away at it and um, hopefully you know with your your preparation and stuff you get your foot in the door somewhere and then they see your work ethic and your your discipline and they say okay we'll hire you to do xyz next season you know so it just kind of snowballs but you know you you gotta you gotta get your opportunities when you can and make the most of them you know so yeah that's a long incubation period though i mean that you have to have had doubt along the way that you know am i really getting anywhere is this doing what i want it to do yeah i i mean i mean i did and i always tell young singers now i said just just keep your keep your nose to the grindstone and just keep working and uh, know in your heart that if you worked hard and you did your best, that's all you can expect of yourself at this point in time in your career. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's a good thing for, for being a bass because in, in every opera, there's always going to be these little bass roles. So you, you could be the father, uh, the priest, uh, the policeman, you know, and there's all these little great little roles that, they got to fill with bases. So I, I just tell the guys, you know, don't start off as Boris Gudinov or, you know, <laughs> Don Giovanni or anything. Look, look at these smaller roles and get your, get your feet uh, firmly planted. And then you'll, you'll, you'll grow and develop and, the, and then you'll know where your voice is and, and what it can handle and what it can't. And you'll know what kind of voice, uh, what kind of roles you can be able to do, you know, when you went, but I, I always tell him, I said, the first 10 years, you just have to learn how to survive. And, and these little bass roles in, in all of these operas are a great, great way to survive. And I did countless numbers of them. So uh, it, it, it's just something that you just have to commit to, you know, but there's a bit of humility involved in all of that, but you know, you have to start somewhere. And even the greatest bases of our time started out as the border guard, or like I said, the, the policeman or the priest or whatever. And then, you know, from there, hopefully things will take off. Sure. Yeah. And I'm, I have to think that some of those roles had to have had little surprises in them somewhere, whether it was that you could do something you didn't realize you could do, or that you learned something from it that you never would have guessed you would learn. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's, I mean, it's not only that, but you, you just get more comfortable uh, with being on stage and, and, and being comfortable with uh, conversing in, in different languages, singing. So it, it all, you know, like I said, it just, it gets your feet firmly planted in the ground, but you no, know, you got to, you got to start somewhere and, 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 you know, it's important to go slow too, because if, if you skyrocket uh, the first couple of years, you're, you're there, you got to be very careful because the only way you go from there is down. So uh, just be careful and go slow and don't take on too much too soon. And, you know, you, you work your way up, but um, it's an important thing to, to, to try to remember if, you know, if you want to have a lasting career, otherwise it can it can be blown out of the water in five years, which I, I know a lot of of people that have have gone that route, unfortunately. But you know, so it's part of the it's part of the gig, and and it's it's extremely demanding. So you have to you have to be really solid with your technique and and know yourself. You know what you can and can't do, and uh, just try to. Try to try to be patient about it all and just keep working hard. Yeah. So you you made a really good point a little a couple minutes ago about you have to learn the languages, you have to learn the music, you have to learn all of that, and you also have to learn how to be on stage. Had you done any mm-hmm. kind of acting or anything like that even before you suddenly landed in music major land? Um, I mean, I always felt comfortable on stage and, you know, doing musicals and stuff. I just thought I just had a good time with it and I had a blast doing it. And, and I, I never had an issue with performing for people for some strange reason, even as far back as I can remember. Uh, so uh, for me, there was a different technique involved with, with opera, though, because uh as I said, working with uh, Maestro Tayo in Cincinnati, he he really honed everybody in on that everything is related to the the music and the text in the score, and you find 
every impetus of thought in that score. Poser uh, wrote this work of art, and it was up to us to unearth all of the treasures in it and to use them and look at them. And that, that was your inspiration for how you acted on stage and how you move and, and what your relationships were with each character. So, um, and, and they're, they're all in this little treasure book called a music score, but you have to unearth it and tear it apart and then put it back together again so that it makes sense in your head to be able to act accordingly. Um, so that was a huge technique for me to learn uh, in Cincinnati. And I, I you know, I, his, his career was legendary. It was over 50 years and he was one of, one of the premier bases in, in the world in the 19, 1900s. So, I mean, uh, I, I learned it straight from the horse's mouth, how to, how to work and, and how to sing and, 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 and look at the score and know that, if you study it and understand it, it will guide you in the right direction and how to how to how to how to just be on stage, you know, and, and be uh, believable. So I I I I learned so much from him. It was it was really wonderful, really wonderful. But that that uh, that was a whole new thing for me to base everything on what what was in front of you uh, in in the music score. So, um, I don't see a lot of that as much anymore um it's a it's sort of a maybe an older old older fashioned kind of a style of approaching how to act on stage but no matter what sort of production you're thrown into that is always the terra firma that nothing changes in the score and everything exists in the score they can they can stage it you know in a in a toy factory or you know in a in a um, a lobby of a hotel, but the constant is always the music and the words. So as long as you react accordingly, you, they can put you in in any situation because you're still going to say and sing things the same way and, and and react accordingly to what's what the base um, um, score and libretto is. So I think I think that's. Uh, most important thing especially when you're when you're first starting out and that that just makes you all the more comfortable if you if you know in your in your heart and your mind exactly what each scene is about and what each piece is about i mean you can you can rely on that and and uh it it works it just flat out works <laughs> can you give us an example of how you might break something down to to figure out you know when you say everything is in the score and in the words well uh, the first thing that I like to do, I like to tear it apart. I, I won't even look at the music at first. I will, I will take the libretto and I will translate it. And not only my part, but everybody's part, because to, to act is to react. So it, it, if you're in a, in a scene with somebody, you've got to know exactly what they're saying to you and why they're saying it and how they're saying it in order for you to react accordingly uh, it, within the scene. So I, the first, I just break it down, put the music away, and I just look at the libretto. And I try to, if it's a, um, an opera in Italian or German or uh, French or whatever, try to recite the lines so that they are clear and, and are understood uh, in, in an in a idiomatic way you know you might just toss something off or you might say something serious but you have to know exactly what's in front of you in order to uh sing it correctly uh, and with the, the right emotion so i i make sure that i've got the libretto and the thought process basically and the story down pat that's the first thing to do uh and after that i'll go to the music and i might put the words to it but what I what I want to do is look look at the score and see how the melody is is treated uh, where where I need to uh, make certain vocal adjustments uh, and then I'll slowly put the words in with it uh, to uh, feel comfortable vocally and then I'll 
you know, I'll take it to my teachers or whatever, whoever I'm working with at the, at the time or a coach or whatever, and we'll go through it in that way. And, and um, that once you have the words and the music and you're comfortable with it, then there's certain things in the score as well that sometimes a, a, um, a composer who was extremely detailed, like say Puccini, I mean, there are things in the score that he wrote specifically on how you are supposed to uh, sing this, this, this certain passage, or, or he might say, you know, this is where, you know, this, this, this character, uh, um, comes out of a certain door or, you know, is crossing here or, you know, uh, Strauss did the same thing, uh, Puccini. So a lot of mm, composers in the, in that time frame really gave you a lot of clues is where like Handel or Mozart, there wasn't much there, but boy, the the, the great libretti uh, of Da Ponte with Mozart, you, you knew exactly where each character stood and uh, what their relationships were. So you knew exactly, once you studied the, the, the words and you knew exactly what was happening in the translation, then you could act the part. But um, for me, I, I, I guess a lot of people consider me sort of a, a singing actor. And for me, uh, it's important to, to, to first study the, the text and to be committed to that and to know how to uh, project it so that it's understood to the audience so that they can be entertained. Um, if, if I know what I'm saying and I know how I'm reacting to everything, then they can relate in the same way, you know, and understand exactly what's going on. Even if they don't speak the language, they know exactly the relationship you have if, if you're acting in the right manner. Um, thankfully now we have super titles or subtitles on the back of seats in front of you in theaters. So, you know, uh, what the text is. And, and, uh, so if you've got somebody on stage, that's even heightening that, then, you know, they, they can enjoy that, that, that whole, uh, moment with you. Uh, but that's how I like to tear it down. Um, the only other thing I would say is, is you have to also, I, once I, I'm familiar with it, I'll, I'll start listening to recordings and, and just listen to like different instrumentation that the uh, composer uses. And you walk differently if, if you're being uh, accompanied by a trumpet than if you're being accompanied by a bassoon. There's just mm. a different character flavor there. So if you hear that a little bassoon or something, then you just might walk a little funny or something. It's just, it just, you have to marry your movement with also look at the instrumentation and, and think, why did he write that line for that, for that instrument? You know, just try and motivate your, your, your movements or your thought process as to why, uh, like Britain was great at that. Benjamin Britain, he would use all these funny little oboe lines or whatever. And, you know, it was just, it was, I, I just found it, extremely interesting but that's another that's a whole nother layer that you can lay on it once you you're comfortable with the with the, the singing and the um the libretto um it just there's there's like i said there it's a treasure but you got to unearth everything in there and, and kind of put it all together and make it work for you uh so there's many levels that you can you can go uh to once once uh, you you establish that relationship um with the score but you know just just look at it because my guy always used to say he'd pick up the score and he'd go this is the bible <laughs> base everything on that you do on the stage so i took it to heart <laughs> so there, there are two questions that are coming to mind for me right now one is have you ever had a director ask you to do something that's the complete opposite of something that you came up with. Absolutely. And the other is, you know, I'm, I'm sure that if you've done the same part more than once, you've found different things in different readings. So I'm wondering if you can tell us about both of those. Absolutely. I mean, I, I remember many times working with the director, uh, he, he would stage a scene where it had absolutely no relationship to the text with what was going on. A, a very famous example was I worked with Harry Kupfer from the Komischer Oper in Berlin. 
and we did Cozy Fantute, something I'd done previously um, many times and was very comfortable with. And they set it in this laboratory where everything was on a spinning wheel. And it was like, I was like the mad scientist and these were my specimens that I was trying to in, in, intoxicate with different feelings and emotions with other people. And every movement had absolutely nothing to do with what you were saying. You were just trying to, to lay out this laboratory in a way that people were being affected in, in weird and, and demented ways. And I, I really, I really struggled with that because it, it went against, it went against everything that I knew and learned in the score. Uh, I mean, I did it because, you know, otherwise I would have been fired, but, right. but, but the thing was that the audience just absolutely loved it. And I could, I couldn't come to grips with why they were just so enamored with this strange production, but it was so far beyond anything that I had experienced and, and dealt with. And it was just so out there. I, I really struggled with it for a long time, but you know, we did it and uh, it was fine. But I mean, and then, so, you know, many years later, I got a call from him and, and he said, would you please come to Berlin and do this? Our Alfonso is sick and you are only one of two or three people in the world that know the blocking and come and do this strange production. So I was like, sure, I'll come and do it. I'm free. I can do it. You know, so I went to Berlin for a week and did the show. And I suddenly realized that in Germany, they do all their productions in German. So oh. I, I, only knew, <laughs> I only knew the role in Italian. So I told them, you know, I only could, and they said, it's fine, just come, just come and we'll work on it. So the, the maid, the character Despina and Alfonso, they're constantly talking and chatting and, and figuring out how they're gonna lay the, the next scene for the, for the lovers to switch partners. So she was singing her stuff in German and I would look at her and go like that. And then I answer her in Italian and the audience was just breaking up laughing so hard, but they were like, yeah, this is great. This is great. This is so weird. We love it. We love it. We love it. But just stuff like that just happens, you know, and, and, in, and in a, an emergency situation, you know, you just got to throw your hands up and jump in and, and hope it works out. But, um, uh, I, I guess it's just all part of the career, you know? Um, and the second part of your question, I can't remember. Was what you've discovered on doing roles multiple times that you uh, might not have found the first time. Yeah, I mean, that's the great thing too, because each and every time it's a different situation, whether it's a, you're a different production, a different conductor, and different colleagues that you're singing with at the same time. So, so some somebody might throw a line at you you've never heard in that particular way before or thing and you and you suddenly realize is that what that means and how do i react to that then or you know the director will will say something to you that you had never even thought of before and um think about it and you're like you know maybe i don't agree with all of it but i i can take a piece of what he said and and use it you know so in a lot of ways i was I always tell young singers never to to just balk at 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 any direction right off the bat. I said just just try to digest it, uh, be like an oyster, uh, filter out the bad, and just grab that little nugget that you can use in your performance. And 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 you you build those little nuggets as as your career goes on, and and you know all these little tricks and things that you can you can incorporate and do. Uh, in in a in an effective way, but it's something that you just you develop and you learn. So uh, a lot of times, if you're an oyster, you know, and you can sort of filter out, but at least do one little thing that they ask, then they're happy with that, you know, and they'll accept that, and and hopefully you have a, a camaraderie at that point where they respect what you're trying to do you're respecting what they're trying to do. And, and so it, it works, but I mean, I, I've been in multiple situations where it's like this, you know, especially, um, um, a lot of times with, I 
have to go there, but tenors and sopranos are like our racehorses of of our uh, of of our whole uh, world. So they can be a little bit temperamental and flighty and and say, no, I have learned it, and I I only can do it this way, you know. So ultimately, the, the conductor or the director has to sort of respect that and say, okay, but maybe if you think about what I said, maybe you know, a week or two down the road when we're rehearsing, you might think about maybe incorporating that if you feel a little more comfortable. But I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, artistic differences going on <laughs> as collaboration. So, I, you know, I always try to try to be respe respectful and, and humbly do whatever they ask. I, I always try to go that way first. And then if I find that it's just not working for me or a certain director or, or direction uh, is just too, too physical, then I have to, I have to say, I, I, I've tried your way for a couple of weeks now and literally I cannot sing the next phrase if I do this. So is there some way I can just kind of alter it to, to calm it down a little bit so that I can sing what I need to sing? And, and usually they're, they're totally fine with that, but, as long as you try what they ask uh, initially, and then just say, you know, I'm I'm really struggling with this. Can I can I modify it? They'll be like, sure. You know, nine times out of ten, absolutely. Um, conductors are a little bit different. Sometimes they are very taskmaster and exactly how they want it sung and and how they want it delivered and stuff. But so, you know, again, you kind of have to do what they what they request and, and hopefully, you know, over a period of time, um, it all works out, but not always, not always. So there's always a little bit of that. And it's, it's happened to me a few times and, you know, you, it's frustrating, but you're not always going to have a hundred percent cooperation. Just, you know, like, like anything else, it just doesn't exist. So you got to roll with it and say, you know, this is, this is going to be a job. <laughs> mm -hmm. This particular uh, gig is going to be a job, and I've just got to do my what I can and just get get it done. And unfortunately, it, it, yeah, it happens a lot. I mean, I can I can count maybe one hand the, the times in in thirty five years where everything just went just so perfectly because there's so many there's so many different factions coming together to try to put this production on this piece. It's, it's not just the conductor and the director, it's the orchestra and the stage hands and the technical things that are flying around. I mean, there's a lot going on and it's, it's, uh, for it to all come together is, is, is really something special. And when it does, it's the greatest art form in the world. There's no doubt in my mind. When it's perfect, it's just so magical. But you know, that's that's like Olympus, you know, and, and mm -hmm. it, it happens, but maybe just in certain aspects of the of the production or the performances, you know, the tenor will just be incredible or something like that, or you know, but maybe a piece of machinery didn't work or whatever. But <laughs> there's always that, you know. So you know, all we can do is just try our best and and, uh, and um, hope it works. But yeah, I mean, there's there's always going to be artistic differences, you know, no matter no matter what the situation is. But like I said, it, you, you try, I I always just try to do what they ask, and maybe it'll be great, you know, and I'll be inspired by what they're telling me to do and what they're thinking about and what angle they're coming from, and I'll be like. I can I can really use that to 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 do X Y Z on stage and, and I'll say thank you that's a great you know absolutely I'll I'll do that that's that's a great idea so just yeah, I, you know I have this image in my head of like I don't know how many times it's typical to end up redoing the same role in an opera career but I kind of have this image in my head of like starting out with the uncut diamond the first time. And then every time you're adding a facet onto it because somebody's asking you to do something different with it or you're finding something different or you're interacting differently with someone else. So by the time you've done it five, ten times, it must be a much richer portrayal just because 
you've been kind of bouncing off of all of these other things. Exactly right. And, and, and each, you know, each situation and each time you approach it, something's always going to be a little different, but you, like you said, it's going to be a little, another little facet to, to your performance. And I, I've done, uh, you know, some of these roles now over a hundred, 150 times. So I'll come into a poem and do it. And the director will <laughs> just look at me and I'll go, so you've done this a few times, huh? <laughs> yes, I have. He said, well, I really have nothing to give you. He said, so let's just, you know, we'll, we'll move on. And, you know, when, when we need you, come back, you know, in a day or two and we'll do the scene again. And, you know, maybe you could do this. And I'll be like, sure. I don't know. That, that's a great idea. Why not? So, yeah, I mean, there are some, there are some singers that, you know, basically they're known for one role their whole life and they'll do it a couple hundred times you know, easy. Uh, so for me, Boem and um, Tosca, I've, I've done well over a hundred times uh, in my career. And you, you, you know, every nook and cranny in that score and, and, and just what needs to happen when uh, for it to work. But, you know, like I said, you're going to be thrown into different productions and situations that you just you kind of shake your head at at first. But you know, ultimately you make it work because you have all that background that you can feed off of and, and incorporate, you know, in the back of your mind. Okay, well, this wants this. So I, I know that if I, you know, you, you remember all your, your experiences and, and, and you can build on that. Yeah, it definitely, definitely helps. Um, so. Keeps you from getting bored too. Yeah. Well, exactly right. Exactly right. And uh, I, I can pretty much do uh, whatever I want on stage in some of those roles like that. And, and you know, some things they'll, they'll just love and other things they'll go, nah, I don't think that's so. I'll just keep throwing stuff at the wall, you know, and if they, they like it, we'll keep it. And if not, I got five, 50 more things I can offer, you know. So mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's just up to them what, what's going to work in their mind and in their vision. Um, yeah, I mean, after doing this for for so long, you kind of have that that wealth of material in the back of your head, and, and you go, "Yeah, I remember what I did in Toulouse, or I remember what I did in Tokyo with that." And I remember, yeah, okay, so you know, it just it it depends on the situation, but you have all of that memory uh, to to just go back to and, and rely on uh, what you did in the past and what worked and what didn't. You know, that's just as important. So, you mentioned how in Germany they do all their operas in German, regardless of what they were written in. Most of the regional houses do that now. Like some of the the, the higher level uh, stuff in Germany, they will do stuff in the original language. But but most of the regional companies, it's it's all German. So yeah, uh, it, it depends. So um, go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, it's okay. I'm just wondering. You mentioned you know doing a show in Tokyo is, is there, I'm sure that there have to be cultural differences, even when it's the same show that you've done in London or New York or, or wherever, when you go to a place like Tokyo, or is it not as different as I might guess? Well, I, I mean, like I said, it's, uh, the Bible is the Bible and, you know, we've, so we've got the music and the words and uh, basically they're, especially in, in, in Japan, uh, they, they are very, um forthcoming and doing things traditionally uh, i mean now there will be times i did a i did a um a vozek in matsumoto for uh seiji ozawa's summer festival and <laughs> here we go the the production team was from germany and i i knew them i worked with them in san francisco and but they had this vision that everybody in in the show was going to be in this costume that made him look like a, a giant Hershey kiss, <laughs> a vanilla Hershey kiss. Every single character was a gigantic Hershey kiss. And you're trying wow. to, wow. And, and it, it was just bizarre, but you know, it, it depends what, what the production is that the, that the company hires uh, the production team to do, and they want to put it on this way. And, 
you know, the, ultimately the, the, the uh, company that hires people, you know, they have to look at what the designs and things are going to be before they say, yes, we'll put on this show. Because otherwise, if you don't, you, you'll get stuck with Hershey Kisses going around the stage all night. Uh, I, I'm hoping that they looked at the design and went, okay, yeah, we can do this. This will be interesting. But there are moments where things are so bizarre. Uh, you, you just, like I said, you have to put your head down. I mean, it's it's one of the greatest pieces of the 20th century, Berg's Wodzek, and I, I, any chance I get to do it, my God, it doesn't matter. You want to dress me in a Hershey kiss? I <laughs> that's how great the score is and the music is, and, and, and drama is just so, I mean, it's so... You're just, by the end of it, it's like a giant tidal wave just knocked you right over. You're just blown away by it. That's one of those special, special operas. Um, but, yeah, you know, they are, they are just, I, I've had nothing but fantastic experiences over there. And, and the people are so nice and, and so appreciative of you coming and doing uh, what you do. And uh, I, I've had just, Wonderful, wonderful times there. I was supposed to go again this past year, but you know the the pandemic hit, and uh, so I mean, live theater has been shut down now since. Yeah. So, uh, hopefully, you know, things will bounce back soon, but probably be one of the last venues to come around, like a you know, like a large stadium mm -hmm. of sports fans. It's just going to be a while. So, but yeah, I, I've had nothing but great times in, 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 um, in Japan, really just lovely, lovely people, really. So they're, they're, they're pretty much traditionalists, you know, they're, they're, uh, they don't get crazy except that one show, <laughs> one show was nuts. And I was like, okay, we're going to do this. Really? Okay. Okay. Anyway. So it's so funny because I was after that I was working in Chicago and I put a picture up on the bulletin board in the in the artist lounge and I said if anybody can tell me the name of this opera I'll give you a hundred bucks <laughs> <laughs> and nobody knew what the heck it was I had thousands of guesses and I was like nope 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 finally what is it Dan what is it and I went what second they went huh <laughs> I said exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's, it's always a it's always a different experience every time. That's why it doesn't get boring, you know. And 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 you know, if you're lucky enough to do it uh, for so many years, there will always be something new uh, and and challenging. That's why it doesn't it doesn't get old ever. <laughs> Things keep changing, you know. Like I said, the director, the, the conductor, the production, the house, the artists you're working with it's just always in the mix so each one's a new experience even if you've done it a hundred 150 times um, well, you had mentioned the mad scientist staging of the one show and i know like i'm i'm much more conversant in shakespeare than i am in opera but they do this with shakespeare too where you know they'll take two gentlemen of Verona and they'll set it as two gentlemen of New York, you know, or whatever. And I'm just wondering what, what you think about that. Does it, does it you work? Know, does I, it not work? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm much more of a traditionalist. I mean, you know, when they put, when they stage Rigoletto in a urinal, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just it's mind blowing as to what they're thinking and how is this going to work? And and I've seen seen countless productions like that. And I just I don't like them. I don't like them. But, you know, like I said, it's a job, so you got to put your head down and do it. But I, I'm much more of a traditionalist. But you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm just an old fart. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I like things to follow as the composer wished them to be. And it's so funny because. You know, when you do uh, these traditional productions like in San Francisco or Chicago, and you have people coming to see the show from Germany or from Spain or somewhere, and, and they go, 
thank God I finally get to see a traditional traviata because we don't see that anymore. And I was, you know, I would go, see, that, I mean, that really speaks to, to the people and, and to follow what the genius of the composer and librettist had in mind. I, I don't know. I, I much preferred that, <laughs> that route than, um, you know, running around in diapers or whatever. I, you know, I don't know. I have to admit, I heard a couple of years ago that that I don't remember which company it was, and I don't remember the opera, but they set it like Star Trek. Oh. And I know it's up on YouTube. So for anybody listening who's curious, I will find it and put it in the show notes. But I, I can't deny I am kind of curious to watch that one. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't haven't heard of that, but, you know, I I don't doubt it for a second. That it, that it happened, that it occurred, and hey, if if that's your cup of tea, God bless. You know, go go and enjoy. At least you know you're experiencing the music in the theater, and and if you know that's that's something that you you like, that that's fine. You know, it's like you know if if you like to drink wine, great. If you like to drink beer, that's fine too. You know, whatever whatever you like, just fine. Because there's there's something for everybody. <laughs> in the arts absolutely that is absolutely. true so um so what do you think about you know I, I know even before the pandemic you know a lot of local opera companies have closed or struggled i don't know how it looks from larger companies but i'm curious what you think about the future of opera and connecting with younger audiences things like that that's a biggie that's that's really a biggie because you know, like I said, for me, having done it thirty-five years now, that the, the the general the general amount of people are like me. <laughs> a lot of gray in the audience. They are really, really trying though to to get younger people involved, and they're doing umpteen amount of things like San Francisco opera is just trying to get people involved from a younger age because you know they're they they see the writing on the wall. I mean 80% of the people that are coming to the theater for opera are 80. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so uh it's a very it's a very tricky thing. I maybe some of the more um exploratory companies uh, the summer festivals and things will do things more geared towards younger audiences and uh, i mean i remember even like in chicago they did a they did a handle julius caesar uh like it was bollywood so like every piece of a handle aria was choreographed and just like you wow would, and it was it was so cool and i was like this is really neat and this you know this is how you're going to relate to a younger art audience and, and stuff, but I've never seen anything like that in my life. And it was, I have to say, I loved it. And it just, it worked, you know, so. On paper, those are two things I would not have thought would go together. Exactly right. And I was like, this is, this is, there's no freaking way you could sing this handle, uh, difficult handle stuff and, and just be dancing like you're in, in a Bollywood mood. It's just like, it can't happen. But uh, so I, I in a way, you know, the traditionalist and stuff, you know, for me, yes, but I, I think they're 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 reaching out for uh, a little bit more contemporary productions and things for to bring in younger uh, crowds and, and younger um, audiences, and it's it's important because I, I I don't know, you know, if it's gonna. Uh, I hope to God it does, but I I, I don't know the future. Um, I, I just don't know if it's gonna if it's gonna work or not. I sure hope it does. And by God, I mean I, I work with young artists all the time, and they're sure hoping it does. You know, because they're devoting their every every moment of their life trying to perfect it the best they can and, and try to have a career. Um, so I and you're right. I mean, a lot of a lot of smaller companies now have been devastated by this, and and I I don't. Who knows if they're going to be able to come back at all? I, I, I don't know, but you know, hope springs eternal, and I guess you just have to 
look at it that way and say it's going to last because, like I said, it's it's one of the greatest art forms on the face of the earth when it when it clicks, and there's no other experience like it. it, it it's it's what the Germans call a Gesamtkunstwerk, where all the different factions of art come together, um, music and voice and dance, and you know it's just it's all there. So it's a Hopefully it's something that's going to keep going on. I really, I really hope so. But uh, you know, it's yeah, that's that's a that's a tough one to 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 look at your audiences and go. I would love to see you know another fifty percent uh, younger crowd in here. You know, I in my in my experience, it's 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 happening regionally a lot more than in the bigger houses. But um, so they're. That's that's where hope springs eternal, I think, you know, in, in the regional companies that are doing these uh, different productions and things. I see a lot, a lot more younger audience there, which is which is great. Um, so maybe maybe they'll uh, continue that trend and 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 rebuild a whole new audience for for uh, for opera. Um, I hope it happens. Uh, like it's you know, you know, like in Santa Fe or St. Louis. Even even those very established places, uh, you'll you'll see a younger crowd uh, come in for for um, for those shows. Um, but like the bigger houses, like Chicago and the Met and uh, L.A., it's yeah the the percentage is quite high of the older generation that you know have, have grown up with it and love the art form. So that's it's a it's a tough thing to tackle, I think, for all companies now, especially in America, because um, we're not we're not subsidized, uh, yeah, like they are in Europe. So, in a way, you, you kind of gotta you gotta be careful uh, when you when you try to expose things to a newer audience, and and you try to do things that are a little bit more contemporary that might rock the boat. You know, with the with the older crowd who were basically paying the bills uh, mm -hmm. uh, and and funding uh, the company, so and it's it's a fine line with with how you want to go and how you can relate that. But um, so I don't know. I you know, like I said, I I sure hope it lasts and it works and and and, and we do start to pull in a younger audience. And, I think it's I think it's starting to happen regionally. You know, I, I see a lot more younger crowds there, uh, like in Minnesota or um, Virginia or uh, Boston. I mean, I've, I've seen younger people at, at those. So, oh. <laughs> <laughs> keep fingers and toes crossed. Yeah, yeah. In a way, I, I you know I I try to have a positive outlook about it yeah it's a it is an interesting conundrum for all of those reasons it is and i i don't know if if it's just opera i think maybe classical music in general i mean look at you know like the all the orchestras that have had to fold mm -hmm. they don't don't have the audiences like they used to uh so i don't know i really don't know it's interesting because I know, you know, when I was a kid, I went through the whole, I'm, I don't want to listen to classical music. I want to listen to top 40 radio. And part of that was because I grew up in a classical only household. So oh, wow. you know, it was like, oh, I want to listen to something different. You know, there's, yeah, there's yeah. a guitar and drums and stuff, but I always still loved, you know, big, um, what's the word I want? Like, cinematic kinds of things i would still listen to stuff like that and then when i got to bucknell which i know you know where that is because yeah. it's right there by susquehanna right down the road. <laughs> um you know i auditioned for the chapel choir and i sang for bill Payne, and so you know mm -hmm. got to do amazing things with him and so it was like i don't know i kind of i kind of worked my way back around to it 
Yeah. But yeah. if you haven't had a background, I mean, my my mother will happily tell you the story of my brother falling asleep at the symphony concert and snoring and <laughs> you know, when we were kids because they would that. take us to the symphony concert, you know, but if, yeah, yeah. if you haven't had that, I don't know how you would necessarily find it unless you went to see a movie and happened to notice the score and wanted to go get a copy of the CD or something. I'm not sure how you right. get back there. Right. 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 And a lot of our, I have to say a lot of our contemporary composers now are, are doing music scores. You know, they're not really writing for the theater as much. Uh, so that's a whole nother faction of maybe, you know, some really great artists going, going that route rather than, live theater too uh, but you know then you've got somebody like then manuel miranda that just writes an incredible piece and, and suddenly everybody is totally galvanized to the theater like you know yeah it just you know blows people's minds you know and it, when it's happening in front of them live and it's just like this is just it's magic it's magical you know so yeah live music yeah. i hope I hope and pray, but it's a struggle. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, classical music. I love it. My family, our whole family is, we're all musicians. So, uh, you know, we're on board. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I think there are plenty of people who are, but whether or not they go out and, you know, actually see a show or hear a concert rather than, watching it on TV or listening to the DVD or the CD or whatever. Yeah, I'm streaming yeah. it on Spotify now, you know, is, is another, another question though. I know um, my, my brother and his family live up in Montclair and there is a, a Montclair orchestra and they do a lot that's just geared for kids. I went to a concert with them last year. That was great fun with my nephews, you know? So oh. You know, if they if they keep doing stuff like that, maybe maybe people will bring their kids. I mean, I, early in my career, I did a lot of that stuff. Like they would they would have a special showing on one of the final draft rehearsals, and they would bring all the school kids in to to experience the opera. You know, and and they did that umpteen times in San Francisco and Chicago, and and even in Santa Fe, they would bring you know the kids in from the pueblos. And have them experience, you know, a night at the opera and whatnot. And uh, so that, what a great. Yeah. I I never was exposed to anything like that as a kid. You know, I never, never saw an opera going from school to go see something like that. that you know. So, um, so those kind of programs are fantastic. And that, I think that's, that's where it needs to start. You know, at the at the ground level, right there, and get them exposed to it, and, and maybe you know, a dozen or so will go. Man, that's neat. I really want to try and do that. And, you know, pick up an instrument or play the piano or something, and just fall in love with it. Yeah, the exposure is really really important. Absolutely. Yeah, because I think most people who think they don't like classical music are just afraid that they don't understand it. Yeah. Yeah, which which is why I think opera is so great because you know if they're given the ch if if they just give it a chance, you know, and 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 something clicks where they just thought, man, the the production and stuff was so like I remember my dad going to my debut at the Met and and he sat there and he was just he was blown away by just the the enormity of it all, you know, and just but you know I. I don't know if you're just give it a chance, you know, like anything else, you might really, you might really dig it. I don't know, <laughs> you know, or maybe you'll go, that's, that was enough. But I would say to people, if you're going to go, go to, go to a comic opera. Don't, don't go to a six hour Wagner opera. <laughs> that is not going to be what you want to start off with. So go to go to a Barbara Seville or a, an Elixir of Love or you know uh, something like that that's a little more light and just a little bit more fun and you know there's still going to be great music but 
you know, and they'll, they'll be short, you know, they'll be like two hours, two and a half hours rather than, you know, five. So that would be my <laughs> thing I would ask. I'm going to try it. Go to something like La Boheme, you know, or, or Barbara of Seville or something like that where you can have fun. And you'll go, hey, man, Bugs Bunny used that music, wasn't that? So, you know, there's all that. But, yeah, so, definitely. Hey, I yeah. recognize that. From yeah, yeah, yeah. Five. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, that seems like a good place to stop. But thank you so much. <laughs> this has been great. Yeah, enjoyed it. That's our show for this week. My thanks to Dale Travis and to you. Do check out the show notes for links for some of Dale's performances and the Star Trek version of Mozart's Abduction from the Seraglio. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Thanks so much. You can find show notes, the six creative beliefs that are screwing you up, and more at fycuriosity.com. I'd also love for you to join the conversation on Instagram. You'll find me at fycuriosity. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. See you next time.